with all that's happening in the world today all around us, and it seems to be getting weirder and wilder, I think it's good we study the book of Revelation. Now we don't know when the Lord Jesus is going to come back and the trumpet will sound and we'll be gathered in the sky to be with him. We don't know when that will be. It could be tonight. It could be ten years from now. We just don't know, do we? Um, it's uh, our, the great Christian hope for when Jesus comes and uh, calls us home. And it will happen. It absolutely will happen, but we just don't know when. So we always need to uh, keep looking up. We can't get our eyes down onto the world for very long. We've got to get our eyes up and keep looking for the coming of our Lord. One thing that we know from Scripture is that when Antichrist comes on the scene, it's, um, it's going to mark the, uh, the beginning there of the tribulation time, the seven years. And the tribulation technically begins with the signing of a peace deal with Israel. And right now, you know, Israel is in the news a lot lately. Um, all of the, um, the Arab nations are all gathered all around. Tiny little Israel there, if you've ever looked at them on the map. And uh, they look pretty outnumbered. Uh, there's a lot of um, uh, unease in the world today. And so uh, when Antichrist comes, he's, he's going to have this seven-year peace treaty. Interesting, the tribulation is seven years in length, and the peace treaty is to be seven years. And I saw in the news a couple of days ago that um, President Trump is going to unveil his, his peace treaty in about two weeks. So Israel is having its elections on the 14th of this month. And he said he's going to um, reveal his peace agreement. He's calling it the, uh, the deal of the century. And you just never know. Every time that uh, some prominent world leader has uh, offered a, a peace agreement with Israel, you know, our eyes are, <laughs> you can't help it, right? Our eyes are on that and we're thinking, could this be it? Well, we don't know. Remember, it still has to be signed. So even though they reveal it on the 15th or 16th or whenever they reveal it, um, even if it is the one, it still has to be signed. And so um, after it's revealed, let's find out how long it's for. If it's for five years, then we know it's not it. Something like that. Pretty exciting times, pretty scary times we live in, but pretty exciting too to think that Jesus could come back anytime. And it's true, we really are the, uh, the closest generation ever in earth history to Christ's coming. We're closer than the previous generation, I'll tell you that. And so we just want to be ready. We want to be ready. Serving the Lord, we don't want to put our feet up and sit idly by, we want to occupy till he come. So that's important that every Christian, man and woman, get busy serving the Lord every way we possibly can. And you'll be very thankful when you get to heaven. You will. Now, um, before we begin the book of Revelation, we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll just commit this study for how many weeks or years <laughs> it'll take us. Whatever, it's going to be a, a nice, exciting journey as we go through this. And we're going to take our time so it's not a flash in the pan, okay? But there's a lot of real goodies in the book of Revelation. And maybe we'll clear up a few mysteries along the way too. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and have a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this last book of the entire Bible, the 66th book. Heavenly Father, it holds a lot of uh, a mystery, it seems. And yet you've given it to us. So please, Lord, as we go through it, we ask that your Holy Spirit would apply its truths to our hearts. 
it would encourage us perhaps to every day be thinking about Jesus coming today. Help us to live in the light of His coming. That's the way we ought to live. Lord, we pray that You'd clear away the clutter of our minds and help us to receive the Word tonight. We pray for those that may be watching on the internet that You'd undertake for them and grant them a special blessing for tuning in. And we'll thank You and love You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, the book of Revelation. Now before we jump right into chapter 1, verse 1, there's something I think that we should deal with, and that is um, our approach to the book. There are several different, actually there's a lot of different ideas people have when it comes to the book of Revelation and how it's to be understood. How do we interpret this book? How do we understand it? How should we take it? And uh, we ready with that? Uh, let's see. There we are. That'll get us started. Boom. I should put a sound effect with that, you know. Something really thunderous. <laughs> All right. How are we to understand the book of Revelation? Well, I want to suggest to you that there are four main um, understandings. Number one is what's called the historic view. In other words, um, it's all history, and uh, it, it happened from the first century up until about now. Uh, so that includes all of the, um, the trumpet judgments and all of the bowls and all of those cosmic things. It's all basically done and or just about all finished up. This is the historic view. Um, you say, well, what do they do with those <laughs> trumpets? You know, when the trumpets are blown and something wild happens on earth or the bowl is poured out and something incredible happens, how do they account for that? Well, they just look into earth's history and they say that the, the trumpet judgments refer to maybe the Goths and Attila the Hun and maybe the, the Muslim wars and things like that. Uh, others who hold to this view try to get Queen Elizabeth in there and Napoleon Bonaparte and they try to see these world figures as uh, playing a prominent role in the book of Revelation, but they say that it's basically passé. It's just a historical book from the first century until now. Then you get into a, another idea. Can you see that all right? Is that clear enough? Can you see in the back? Yes? Read it, okay. It's called the Preterist view. The Preterist. So you say, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's a fancy word, but it's very simple. So don't let anyone, if anyone starts bandying about this word in your presence, don't let them bamboozle you. What it, what it means essentially, uh, if you take the IST off the end, the IST makes the word applicable to a person, a person that has a, um, a fondness for the preter view and the idea of preter means essentially that it's all happened in the first century. It's before. So it's not even historical up till today. It's before. Way before. And they say that it all happened in the first century. If you hear someone that has a preterist view, they say that um, um, Nero, Emperor Nero and uh, Domitian were the beasts of chapter 13. You see, they, they, they take all of the events of the first century and they somehow try and make them fit in there. Now, from what I can gather, this preterist view was invented uh, by a 17th century Jesuit priest. So, uh, needless to say, I am not a fan of the historic view nor the preterist view. I think they've got uh, some problems. Um, the third popular way of understanding the book of Revelation is what's called the uh, symbolic view or symbolism. And what they do is they read through Revelation and they kind of make symbols out of it all. And they say that it portrays essentially the conflict between good and evil. And that's kind of the symbolic idea. But uh, there's problems with that. 
it's definitely not a literal interpretation. You can, you can count on that. <clears throat> See, how do people get away with this? How, do they, uh, how can they live with themselves? And there are some Christians that actually hold to some of this stuff. Born-again Christians. How is it that they can, can justify you know, that? Changing gears like that. And the way they do it is very simple. Uh, their basic belief is that all of the Bible is to be interpreted literally. Now when we say literally, we're saying uh, that we take into account uh, grammar and the history and the geography and the setting of it. The, the normal, natural, common sense of what it says. We call that the literal method. Uh, figures of speech are understood as figures of speech and parables as parables. Uh, but when it says uh, a day, it means a day and a, a week, it means a week unless it's explained elsewhere differently. So this is the literal method. But when they come to prophecy, the subject of prophecy, any kind of prophecy, then they change gears. And this is how they come up with these variant ideas. Um, there are are good Christian people out there that think they're going to go through the tribulation and that they're going to have to run from the Antichrist and things. And you say, where do they get that from? Because when they come to their prophecy, they're no longer using a literal method. They're using, for all intents and purposes, what we call a spiritual method. You say, what does that mean? It means anything you want it to mean. And that's exactly what they do. People that do not use a literal method on their prophecy come up with various ideas on what's going to happen in the future. So this is how it's done. If you maintain a literal method of understanding your Bible all the way through, I believe you'll end up with this last method here. The book of Revelation is to be understood as a futuristic. And when we say futuristic, we're talking chapters 4 to 22. Chapters 4 to 22 of Revelation is yet future. It hasn't happened yet. And we're going to show you that the book of Revelation actually deals with past, present, and future. We're going to show you that. But the bulk of the book of Revelation is future. And I believe that um, the key, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 19, I think you'll see the key right here in front of you. Jesus said to John, Write the things which thou hast seen, that's past, and the things which are, that's present, and the things which shall be hereafter, that is future. And um, this ties in actually with uh, the nature of the Lord Jesus. The book of Revelation deals with past, present, and future. The book of Revelation is dictated by Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who dictated all this to John. And this past, present, and future concept falls in line with the nature of who Jesus is. Look at verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him. That's Jesus. Reference to Jesus. From him which is, that's present, and was, that's past, and which is to come, that's future. There's our Lord Jesus with past, present, and future. And he's dictating a book that deals with past, present, and future. And so this, ladies and gentlemen, I want to suggest to you is the proper view. It's the view that uh, I believe to be correct. And I've, I've looked at these other views, and I, I've looked at how they got to where they, they are in, in their belief, and I... I I can't do what they do. I can't change gears like what they do. And they do it in all good conscience. And I think that they're wrong. I think that we need to understand the Bible in a literal, grammatical, historical, common sense kind of way. From Genesis to Revelation. It's been given to us that way. Bearing in mind that there are symbols in the Bible, but they're explained as symbols. They're parables, but they're explained as parables. That sort of thing. Now, as we have seen uh, in verse 4, but also if you look at verse 1, the book was physically written by John. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come.
come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant. What's that name? John. And so the apostle John is mentioned here. And also if you look at verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. So we see that the human author that God used was John. John was persecuted for his faith. He loved the Lord. He was known as the, the, the apostle that leaned on Jesus' breast uh, during the, um, the Last Supper. Uh, he was an amazing man, although he did have a temper. Can you imagine that? James and John were known as the sons of thunder. And that means that they, they had a temper. At one point they wanted to, uh, well they asked Jesus if, if they could call fire down from heaven and barbecue some people that weren't following them the way they thought that they should be following. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. And so John was a loving, loving guy, but his weakness seems to be that he had a, a temper problem, a short fuse. So I don't know too much more about uh, that temper problem than other, other than it's just mentioned. But he did love the Lord with all his heart, and he lived for the Lord, and he lived up to be an old man. According to the promise of, of Jesus, uh, he was going to live a long time. He was the last of the apostles. Uh, everyone else had died out. He was the very last one. And for being a Christian and being a preacher of the gospel... He was hated by the Roman government. Rome thought that uh, Christianity was a threat. The way that they thought it was a threat, not because the Christians bore arms, swords and spears, that wasn't the threat. The threat was that they refused to bow and worship the emperor. Being part of the Roman emperor, uh, Roman Empire meant that you could keep your own little gods but you also had to pay homage to the emperor. And he was looked upon as a god. And so that means that you had to burn a little incense to him. When you said your prayers, you had to include him. And so this was part of how Rome controlled the then known world. Um, they had a problem with the Jews, because the Jews wouldn't do that. And they had a problem with the Christians, because the Christians wouldn't do that. And so the Christians got persecuted. And they were labeled as enemies of the state. And John, being a leader, was a big enemy. And so they tried to uh, make examples out of the big enemies. And so John was arrested. And they tortured him by boiling him in oil. Now, if you've ever made french fries, and you've stood at the, uh, the, the kitchen uh, stove there, and some of that hot oil is splattered on you, then you'll know a little bit about of what that must have felt like. Um, it's happened to me where I've gotten a little bit of hot oil on me, and oh boy, does that burn and it leaves a mark, right? Well, they weren't playing games back then. They took John and they dunked him in a big cauldron of boiling oil and the idea was to kill him but by God's intervention he didn't die but he did get disfigured he didn't look the same and so when he when they figured they couldn't kill him they pulled him out of there and he looked a mess and so they just banished him to a tiny little rocky island and we'll be looking at that and it's called the island of Patmos and that's where he spent uh, the next number of years. I believe that he was finally released off of there and then later went to heaven. But the book of Revelation was revealed to John while he was on this rocky, deserted kind of island. That's where they would put political prisoners and people that they didn't really know what else to do with. They'd throw them onto this island. And then a boat would come once, once a week or something and throw them some food, whatever, and whatever prisoners on the island would get the food, that sort of thing. And that's the kind of life that John had to, to live. And so now, without further ado, we're going to look at chapter 1. And uh, the goal for tonight is simply to get through the first three verses. 
That's our goal. And so, we start with this word here, Revelation. I'm going to put up here on the screen behind me a number of words that I think are, are significant enough to, uh, to look at. Now, the book is called Revelation. A lot of people will tell you, you can't understand Revelation. It's a mystery. And yet, what's it called, folks? Revelation. The root word of Revelation is what word? Reveal. Reveal. Right. And um, uh, in Greek, it's apocalypsis. And it means to pull a lid off and show what's inside. And so, if you ever heard of the apocalypse, that has the idea of revealing. That's what it means, to reveal. Um, if you've ever emptied your purse or emptied your pockets, you're doing a, a revelation. Sometimes when little boys, their mummies tell them to empty your pockets, then they wish they hadn't. Because sometimes little boys put things in their pockets, you know, like snails and worms and frogs and, you know, things like that. And uh, so, ugh, take that back, put that back in your back. Well, revelation means to take the cover off. Revelation is not a dark and mysterious book that we cannot understand. Because of its very name and nature, it's revealing, it's telling what's uh, going to happen. And that actually brings us now to the next here, to show unto his servants. That's, we're still in verse 1 here. To show unto his servants. The book of Revelation was written for saved people. The book of Revelation was not written so much for unsaved as it was written for saved people. And that's uh, something to keep in mind. You may want to jot down 1 Corinthians 2.14 if you're taking any notes. 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says... The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. That means that the natural man, the unsaved man, the man who's yet in his sins, he's not born again, he doesn't understand the Bible. He doesn't. If you get a religious cult knocking on your door, a cult will define a cult as someone who denies the deity of Jesus Christ, denies salvation by grace through faith, if you get a member of, of some kind of religious cult knocking on your door, they're not saved. If they're not saved, they don't understand the Bible. You may only be saved a week, but I can guarantee you, you understand more of the Bible than they do. Bear that in mind. Well, specifically, these servants here, who are these servants? Well, we are going to look at that in a minute. But the Bible, in general, shows us not only what's coming, but it shows us right and wrong. And the Bible is real big on this. It really tells us what is right and what is wrong. Sometimes we have questions. Well, going to uh, the casino, is that right? Is it wrong? Going to bingo? Going to the movie house? Is, is this stuff right? Is this stuff wrong? The Bible has the answers. And the Holy Spirit will give us those answers if we are teachable and we study the Word of God. And so the Bible shows us not only what's coming, but it shows us all what's right and wrong. And folks, we need to be reading the Bible. We need to be studying the Bible and pouring over it to know right from wrong and to get the faith from God to do what's right. Faith is based on the Word of God. It's born out of the Word of God. Faith, I believe, is a gift from God that comes in connection with the Word of God. And as we read the Bible more, every day, our faith will grow. Now, the cults will never tell you to just go off and read the Bible on your own. Because they don't want you doing that. They want you to, maybe, if you are going to read the Bible, use their little Bible booklets, or their Bible studies, or sit down with one of their elders, or in their, their Bible studies in their little temples, or in their little buildings, and that's how you learn from them. And they'll tell you what it means. The Bible tells you to, to get alone with God in your Bible. 
You and your Bible is a majority. If you're saved, you have a built-in Bible teacher. And by the way, a lot of saved people got saved by reading the Bible. The Catholic Church has been famous for centuries of um, telling the people not to read the Bible. It was a banned book. And if you were a Catholic and you were caught reading the Bible, you were in big trouble. And you could be excommunicated. You could be put out of the Catholic Church, which basically meant the death sentence because it, it prohibited you from the Mass. And the Catholic Church is built around the Mass. It's not built around the Bible. It's built around the Mass. Because their teaching is that this is the way of salvation. This is the main part of salvation is the Mass. And by the way, you can't even get directly to heaven. You've you got to go through purgatory. That's the best you can do. Is go into purgatory, and then you've got to get people on earth, relatives and friends, to pray and pay and say Hail Marys to get you out of purgatory and finally into heaven. That's their theological teaching to this day. They still believe it. I've been to many uh, Catholic funerals. And I've sat there and I've listened to the priest give his homily and how so-and-so is now up in heaven. And then he starts into the Mass. And it's done in English now. It's not, it used to all be done in Latin. Now it's done in English. And in, in the Mass, it tells you that you can't get to heaven. You can only get to purgatory. And so, here's the priest out of one, one side of his mouth. He says, oh yeah, brother, you know, hooky palooky here. He says, he's up in heaven. And out of the other side of his mouth, well, we got to pray. He's up in purgatory. We think he's in purgatory. And we, yeah, and we've got to pray him out of there. And uh, so then, then they hold another, another mass. And people are invited to come forward and take the host on their tongue and things like that. It's, um, it's a doctrine of devils is what it is, to be quite honest with you, because it's teaching another way of salvation. The Bible teaches that salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing. It's not of works. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't buy it. You can't win it in a, in a, rattle, in a, um, a raffle or a lottery. It's a gift that God will give to the repentant sinner. Whosoever will may come. That's the, the, the term that God has put there. You want to know what the fine print is? There it is there. You know, if thou shalt believe in thine heart, Confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart. Thou shalt be saved. Very important. Romans chapter 10. And so, uh, let's move on here. So, we have this book of Revelation to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Here we go. Now, right away, a lot of Christians say, I have a question. Why does it say shortly... And it's been 2,000 years. Huh? What is it I'm not getting here? It just doesn't sound right. Well, the word shortly literally means cut short. That's what shortly means. It's cut short. In other words, in a small space of time. The time has been cut very short. Now... Revelation is divided into three basic sections, as we, we said earlier. Um, we've got, uh, in verse 19, we have past, chapter 1, present, chapter 2 and 3, and future, chapter 4 to 22. So there's those three divisions. And when it says shortly, it's referring to the things that are going to happen in the future. Chapters 4 to 22. It's not saying that Jesus is going to come in the next 10 minutes. It doesn't say that. That's not what it means. Now, um, there are some people who, uh, they go to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, and it says, um, well, a lot of them misquote it. And they, they think it says, a day is a, uh, no, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. And that's a misquote. People who believe in what's called 
amillennialism. Uh, they, they don't believe in a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ, which is yet to come after the tribulation. Jesus will come back at the end of the tribulation, set up his glorious kingdom for a thousand years. And there are born again Christian people who don't believe that. Say, why don't they believe that? Because, if you remember, when they come to their prophecy, they don't use a literal method anymore. They use a spiritual method. And so for them, they say, oh, well, it doesn't mean a thousand years. You know, it's like Second Peter 3.8, you know, a, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And that's not what it says. What it says is one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as a day. With the Lord. The idea is time means nothing to God. He's outside of time. But you and me, a day is a day. And a year is a real year. And a thousand years is a long, long time. But with the Lord, he's above that. However, people take that verse and they misquote it. And they try and apply it when they come to the book of Revelation. And this idea here of, of shortly, here, they, well, some of them struggle with that sort of thing. You know that uh, the Bible says that uh, the years of our lives are three score and ten. And, you know, there, we may get more than that. But 70 years, that's how long King David lived for. 70 years. Many people today live way beyond 70 years. That's true. But it hasn't been that many years ago when 70 years was pretty old for the average person. And they were dying off. Um, all over the world, people are dying off in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And the way some people live their lifestyles, they may only be 40, but they look 80. You know, with all their hard living, all of the substance abuse and how they've abused their bodies and stress as well will do it. And uh, some people really look old. You know, some of my peers from, from my Bible college days, they look like they're... Uh, and these, these are good people too. But stress will do that. The ministry will do that to you. But some of them look like they've got uh, 15 and 20 years on me. And uh, many of them, I'm older than them. So that's just a gift from God, I think. I hope you know I'm just teasing a bit there. Yeah. Well, anyhow, to, to us, real humans, a thousand years is not very short. That seems like a long time. And 2,000 years, boy, that's even longer, isn't it? And so... When Jesus says here in verse 1, um, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. The idea of the shortly come to pass means that they're all going to happen in a short time. How long is that short time? It's seven years. In that short little period of seven years, this world is going to change like you've never, ever seen it. And if you're saved, you won't see it. You'll be in heaven. Maybe we'll have ringside seats watching what's happening on earth. I don't know. But earth is going to become a very unlovely place. All of the beautiful green places, the nice lakes we have, the beautiful oceans, they're already being polluted. But this is nothing. The price of gas today, the price of housing, the price of an automobile... The cost of living now, in the tribulation time, these are the good old days. What we're seeing and living and experiencing right now, and we're moaning and groaning and grumbling and complaining about, the people in the tribulation would, would give anything to be able to have these good old days happen again. It's going to be so hard for them. The world is going to, going to be such a crazy place. Population, world population is going to plummet. Death is going to reign. Bloodshed. There are going to be things happening in those seven years that are just going to, to cause men's hearts to fail them for fear. The world is going to change so drastically. I just want you to understand that when Jesus is saying uh, the things that will must shortly come to pass, he's He's not talking about present day. He's talking about future events. And when these future events begin, they will happen in a short period of time. Time that's been cut short. 
Seven years is not very long. It's not very long, is it? Seven years ago, where were you? What happened to those last seven years? Whew, they're gone. You're here, aren't you? Look how quick those seven years went. The tribulation is going to be a, a time that we, we really... Hollywood's worst movie can't depict what's really going to happen in, in the tribulation. Let's put it that way. And in fact, I want you to see something. Keep your finger there, please, in Revelation. And I, I want you to go back, please, to, um, to the book of Matthew. Matthew 24. By the way, listen, keep this in mind. Don't look for the rapture in Matthew 24 and 25. It's not there. Jesus is talking to the Jewish nation. Matthew 24 and 25 is tribulational. It's not church age, it's tribulational. And so if you keep that in mind, it'll save you from making some embarrassing mistakes. All right, so the, the Old Testament servants are not going to be present when this happens. The first century won't be there for the seven-year tribulation. The servants of the last 1,900 years will not be there in the seven years. The servants of today will be raptured and will not be present during the seven years of tribulation. But the tribulation believers, the saints, people who get saved in the tribulation, those are the ones that will be there for all of this. And they need to know what's going on. And I suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the bulk of the book of Revelation is not written so much for us as it's written for them. For them, it'll be a, a roadmap point in uh, uh, a point. There's a point. <laughs> we don't know who the Antichrist is. We've got ideas. Well, maybe it's this guy. No, maybe it's that guy. Well, it could be this fellow over here. We don't know. But the people in the tribulation will know. They will know who the Antichrist is. Right now, we say, hmm, 666. Well, you know, boy, it's hard to know what that could be. Some people think it's going to be radio transmitters implanted in your forehead or the back of the hand. Some people are going to think it's a barcode. Some people thought it was a credit card or the debit card. Over in India, I think they finished it now, but for economic reasons, they were putting microchips in people. And they were chipping a million people a day. They wanted to... Uh, implant half of the nation and the reason was because people were getting their wages stolen and this was the government's solution to help curb that uh, a crime did it work i don't know but i remember a couple years ago reading about this sort of thing so people are wondering well what is that 666 what's it all about you and i don't know for sure we just speculate what that could mean it's the number of a man's name what does that mean People have done all kinds of gymnastics to make 666 equal any, any name at all. They thought Napoleon Bonaparte. They thought Adolf Hitler. Uh, Prince Charles got sucked into this as well. And they thought he may, might have been the, uh, the Antichrist with 666 somehow. And they've done fanciful things to try and figure out what his name means. We don't know. But the tribulation people will know. And if somehow we could get in a time machine, which we can't, and go, you know, halfway into the tribulation and grab one of these believers and say, what does it mean? What does it mean? And they'd look at us and say, are you crazy? Don't you know? And we'd say, no, we don't. What does it mean? And that's kind of where we're at. We don't know. We don't know who the Antichrist is. We'd, we'd ask him, who is this world leader, this Antichrist? What planet are you from? Don't you know? Imagine if someone came up to you and said, what is this thing called a cell phone? What is it? What, what is this thing called Google? And we'd look at them and say, what planet are you from? Don't you know? Well, they were in a time machine, you know, from 50, 60 years ago. They don't know what a Google is. There used to be a cartoon character named Barney Google uh, with his goo-goo googly eyes, but that's something else. Yeah. That's not in the Bible. Neither is Google, come to think of it. All right. The tribulation saints will be there. When these servants come on the scene, the events which begin in the tribulation will all come to pass shortly, and they will understand it. 
when the rapture happens, and it will happen one day, hasn't happened yet, all Christians, all born-again believers, men, women, old and young, from all over the world, who are born-again saved, will go to heaven instantly. Instantly. They'll be, that's what the word rapture means. The word rapture is not found in the Bible, but it means a, a seizing, a snatching, a catching away. And that describes what Jesus will do when he comes in the clouds. The, the doctrine of the, the rapture was a mystery right up until it was revealed to the Apostle Paul, and he wrote about it in, in 1 Corinthians, and he wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians. Prior to that, it was a mystery. That's why you're not going to find the rapture spoken of in Matthew 24 and 25. It's not there. It talks about the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back. Anyhow, we'll talk more about that later. But when the rapture happens, all of the Christians of today will be taken up to heaven and the tribulation will more or less begin. I say more or less because technically it's when that seven-year peace treaty is signed. That's when the clock starts ticking. And so we may have a little gap of time between when the rapture happens and when that peace treaty is signed. Now let's just for fun say that this coming peace treaty is going to come out September 15th. Just for fun. And let's say just for fun it's going to be signed on the 20th of September. Well, when it comes out on the 15th, we only got a, um, a couple of days. We may be raptured prior. We may be raptured on the 13th. We may be raptured on the 16th. We may be raptured tonight. But the actual beginning of the seven years doesn't start until that peace treaty is signed. So, the news says that the White House is going to release their peace agreement after the uh, Israeli elections, which is the, uh, what did I say, the 14th? I think it's the 14th, did I say? Whatever it is, you can look it up. But the rapture could happen tonight. But there may be a little space of time. Personally, I don't think it's going to be very long. A few days, a couple of weeks. That's just my thought on it. But uh, all of the unsaved people all over the world all of a sudden will find themselves trapped in a time shell and they will need to endure the horrors. Now we have to move on quickly. In um, verse 1, it says it's signified by his angel. The word angel means messenger. That's what the word angel means, a messenger. The Jews believed the presence of an angel was important. They believed that. In Luke 1.11, we have an angel who appeared to Zacharias and told him that he was going to be the father of a bouncing baby boy named John the Baptist. In Luke 1.26, we have an angel appearing to Mary and telling her that she's going to be the mother of our Lord Jesus. In Matthew uh, chapter 1 and verse 20, we have an angel appearing to Joseph. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 9, we have uh, an angel appearing to the shepherds. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, we have an angel who came and rolled back the stone of the tomb. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 19, we have an angel who came to Peter and John in prison. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we have an angel who spoke to Philip the evangelist. In Acts chapter 10, verse 3, we have an angel who came to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. In Acts 12 and 7, we've got an angel who came to Peter in prison. In Acts chapter 27, verse 23, we have an angel who stood by Paul in the ship at sea in the Mediterranean, comforting him and telling him that he won't die. The things that are written in Revelation are important, and they will happen. And when they finally begin, they will happen in a short amount of time, in just under seven years. And God used an angel here in verse 1, to come to a Jewish man named the Apostle John to certify. That's why the angel was used, to certify to him, because John understood the importance of angels. We get into verse 2. It says, who bear record. That's the next 
word we've got here. John wrote these things down. Look please at verse 11. Jesus speaking, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. John wrote. Look at verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen. Look at um, chapter 21. And verse 5. And he, that's an angel, that sat upon, I'm sorry, that sat, he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And so John here is instructed to write. God wanted them written down. Why? So they would not change. We have a lot of people today, a lot of Christians that don't believe that they have an accurate Bible. They say, well, most of it is, is the Word of God, but some errors have crept in over the many years, and we, we're not sure what those errors are. We just kind of have to live with them or try and work them out. And this theologian says that this is right and this is wrong, and this other theologian says, no, that's backwards. What he says is wrong is actually right, and what he says is right is actually wrong. And they've got their theological reasons for it. But the bottom of the line, the end of the day, is they don't believe that they have every word of God. It takes faith to believe that this Bible is the Bible God wants us to have. It's received by faith. You ask any Christian, did God write the Bible? And they'll pretty much all tell you, oh yes, he wrote the Bible. No question about it. And when the Bible was originally written, it was perfect. That's what they'll tell you. But then, that's where the confusion comes in. And they say, over the years, these little errors crept in. I don't believe that. You see, if you ask me if I believe God wrote the Bible, my answer would be yes. But if you ask me, do you believe that God who wrote the Bible, preserved the Bible, God who wrote his word, kept his word perfect, pure, I would say yes. There are some Christians that would say no. They say, well, I, well, well, God could if he wanted to, but I guess he didn't. And so that's why they're always buying these new versions, new versions of the Bible. Let's see what your Bible has to say. Oh, that's interesting. Now, what does yours say? Now, what does yours say? What does yours say? What does yours say? And you get all these different Bibles saying different things. And then they say, isn't that wonderful? Well, we want to know what God says. Which one is right? Well, we don't know. Maybe they're all right. Or maybe they're all wrong. But it's just wonderful. Imagine if courts of law were run that way. Huh? I don't think we'd, we'd have a country. And so God wanted them right, written down. Speaking of the, the Bible, again, Peter said in 2 Peter 1.19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Peter was saying that the Bible is rock solid. That's what Peter is saying. We get into verse 3 here. And um, we have, there it is. Blessed is he. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear, so he that readeth, I guess that's me. He, they that hear, I guess that's you. The words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. God promises a blessing. He really does. He promises to deliver a blessing to those who read and those who listen and those who obey what's in the book of Revelation. This idea of blessed means to, to bring into divine favor. Uh, imagine having the favor of Almighty God in your life. Now, what are some of the blessings if someone in the tribulation was to read and obey the book of Revelation? What are some of the blessings? Well, I want to quickly give them to you. Number one, the blessing of salvation. That's a blessing. In chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus is knocking on the heart's door. And he says, if you open the door, I will come in. There's the blessing of salvation. There's the blessing of rewards over in chapter 22, verse 12. 
There's the blessing of God's special presence and protection through life. That's in chapter 7, verse 3. I want to tell you a story I saw in the news. It happened just a few years ago. An 88-year-old woman was trapped for five days in her car when it went off an embankment and down into a blackberry bramble. And um, she survived. It was wintertime. And she was trapped in her car and she survived for five days by wiping condensation off the windshield with a towel and sucking the moisture out of it. Her name is Mary Lillian Anderson. And they took her to the uh, Southwest Washington Medical Center and they uh, treated her and sent her home. Uh, Apparently she was rescued by a delivery truck driver who spotted her car off the Interstate 5 and he peered inside and he said, (laughs) I guess he wasn't braced for what he saw, but he he was pretty sure he was going to see a dead body. Anyhow, instead, there she was sitting upright and uh, uh, staring right back at him. And that was quite a shock. And so apparently this guy was uh, heading home from a grocery store. And um, I'm sorry, she was heading home and she slipped off the road and she was in a Cadillac Seville and she went down this steep drop off and she was reported missing the next day. And uh, her con- her condominium neighbors noticed she hadn't come home. So county sheriff's office issued a missing persons report. Um but they didn't know where to begin search. And so during this ordeal, this dear old lady, her groceries uh, that she had, uh, they were in the trunk. She had no food. And so she kept herself distracted by harvesting the water and praying and counting up to 500 and backwards down again. And so um, the, uh, the delivery guy said that his truck's uh, high cab, he was sitting up high in the cab, gave him a perfect view down the embankment. And he said if there had been leaves on the tree, that um, he wouldn't have seen her and she would have eventually died. No one would have known what happened to her. But you see, just as Mary uh, Anderson was suddenly trapped in this car, the unsaved people of the, the tribulation will be trapped They'll be trapped there, folks. And just as a truck driver came to rescue Mary Anderson, Jesus Christ will come and offer salvation to whosoever will. That's Revelation 3.20. But how much better it is to make sure you're saved now. To make sure that you're part of God's family now. To completely avoid the, the, the tribulation by being saved now. Well, the, the last blessing is comfort. The last blessing is comfort. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, talking about the tribulation and essentially prophecy, it says, Wherefore, comfort one another by these words. By seeing the stage set for the tribulation, we look around us and the stage is being set. It tells us that Jesus' coming is very soon. We don't know when. But it could even be tonight. Did you know that God still gives blessings to those who will read and obey the Bible? Did you know that? There are still plenty of blessings to be had. Faith and growth, wisdom, comfort and strength. Are you reading God's word every day? Are you making time for it? Because the devil is going to fight you for it. You need to make time and read your Bible every day. Pray with me now.